Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. And this is Stuff You Should Know. Yeah, just a couple of ITJSs. <laughs> I don't remember what I am. We've taken it before. How Stuff Works hosted it years back. Do you remember? Yeah, we had, uh, like many companies do, as you'll see, we had, uh, when we were under Discovery's uh, tender wing, they, yeah. they paid for someone to come to our office and, and administer the Myers-Briggs personality test. At uh, gunpoint. Yeah. I, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure I was an ENFP. I I don't remember what I was. I'll I'll probably say like three different things as we go through this one. Like just looking at it again, I'm pretty sure I was an ENFP. Okay. Um, P stands for Pisces. <laughs> right. <laughs> or pooper. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Extroverted, intuitive. Okay. What does the F stand for? Feeling. Well, Pooper. This is a spoiler. Yeah, feeling pooper. So we're what we're talking about. We're. It sounds like we're saying strings of letters. They actually do make sense if you're familiar with what Chuck just said. The Myers Briggs type inventory, which, if you are in corporate America and have been a part of corporate America for more than probably three years, there's probably a pretty good likelihood that you've taken the Myers Briggs type inventory for sure. Like it's really widespread. Yeah, people I, love it. I saw something like thirteen percent of companies in America use it. It's a lot. Yeah, and uh, was it eighty nine of the Fortune one hundred use it? Right. And then I saw another stat. It was from two thousand one, though, so I'm not sure how current it is. Well, sixteen years old. Right. <laughs> but they said that um, the the uh, I think British companies. Somewhere between 10 and 40% of British companies use them. All right. So, I mean, it's, who knows? It's a pretty wild guess, it sounds like. But I wonder if they have their own. It's, uh, no. Same the, one. the Myers-Briggs test, they don't call it a test, as we'll see. Sure. But the, the test, um, <laughs> is, is, it's worldwide. It's translated into tons of different languages. They, and no, it's, it's the Myers-Briggs test. And there's tons of knockoffs. Oh, sure. There's tons of personality tests in general, which really is the uh, larger umbrella that the Myers-Briggs test falls under. But it's probably the most famous of all time, at least as far as pop culture goes. Yeah. And we're going to hit on everything from Rorschach to the Myers-Briggs. Sure. Uh, but we're going to hit on them. But the MBTI definitely um, is more the focus of this one because of its ubiquity. Right. And because most people know it and because it's a, a one of the. Uh, overlooked pastimes in the United States to take pot shots at the Myers-Briggs type inventory. Yeah, sure. It's fun. <laughs> uh, so categorizing one's personality is nothing new. Uh, and that's what these tests aim to do um, for various reasons, which we'll go over later. But um, going back, and this was a Grabster article, correct? That's right. So you know it's good. And Grabster was just at our show in Toronto. Yeah, he was. For the second time. He stood up and like did that victory shake. Oh, did he do that? No, he did. Oh. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. That's old school. Oh, it is. It's a good way to go. Uh, it looks like you should be wearing those dolphin shorts and just having <laughs> crossed the finish line and you're doing that. 
Um, so yeah, it, it's nothing new trying to categorize personalities. Um, way back in the day, uh, I know on our, um, grave robbing, live grave robbing episode, we talked about the four humors. Right. And we've talked about them before, um, before medical science was kind of a real thing. Um, there was they, an early attempt. Yeah. They talked about the four fluids or the four humors, black bile, yellow bile, phlegm and blood. <laughs> Uh, and an imbalance in those will cause disease, but they were also, this is something I didn't know. These are also linked to, uh, corresponding personality types. Too. Right. Yeah. So like the word melancholy in English, it's an adaptation of the Greek words, I believe, for black bile. There it is. And, and melancholy personalities were associated with an overabundance of black bile and, um, Basically, you're melancholy. You're you're a depressed person, or you're very reserved or quiet. And for thousands of years, people thought guys got a lot of black bile. Yeah, that explains his personality. The other ones are pretty pretty um, interesting too, like phlegmatic. Uh, phlegmatic. I've seen phlegmatic. I've heard phlegmatic. Oh, really? I've seen it too. So, like when you cough something up, do you call it phlegm? Sometimes phleg. Depends. <laughs> if it had like a lot of extra chunks in it, it's phlegmatic. Oh gosh. But phlegmatic, I say phlegmatic. Uh-huh. Uh, that's very laid back. Did you know that? Uh, well, yeah, because I looked all these up. Oh, okay. Um, because sanguine is one of my favorite words. Yeah. Um, and that's this is Hippocrates, by the way. He he kind of further refined these concepts of the temperament. So melancholic, phlegmatic, <laughs> sanguine, and what is it? Choleric. Yeah, choleric. Yeah. Choleric. Choleric. Choleric is like irritable and short and terse and curt. Yeah. But the thing is, there's something weird here, right? If you are a thinking human being. Yes. Who is not in a vegetative state right now. Correct. And for all we know at this point in medical science, maybe even if you are in a vegetative state, you're probably thinking, uh, it doesn't seem like anyone I've ever met is just phlegmatic or just choleric or just sanguine yeah, or just melancholy. Sometimes I'm all four of those things. Sometimes I go through those things all four in a day, depending on how weird the day is. Sometimes I go through all four of those within the course of one happy hour. Sure. Okay. Right. <laughs> and And that's kind of the point here and it's also the basis of any criticism from the this moment in the podcast here on out is that this whole thing that started back with the four humors and continues on to this day in the guise of personality tests yeah is an attempt to take a human personality and say you're this yeah you're this one type you're this type this is your type mm-hmm. this is what you're like right yeah and the human personality is just too complex, too squishy, too jelly-like to be boxed into one thing like that. Yeah, and we'll get into all the criticisms, but that definitely is the leading criticism that is, uh, well, well, we'll save that. Okay. Um, that was a tease. It was a good tease. It was a phlegmatic one. Uh, all these classifications, though, um, that we talk about now are, uh, or most of them at least, are derived uh, lay at the feet of one man, one Carl Jung. Yeah. Who wrote a book called, uh, Psychological Types. How do you say it though in, in German? <laughs> I don't know. It's, um, oh, where is it? Let me see. Oh, uh, there it is. I, I can't even begin to do it. Uh, 
psycho psycho sorry psychologicish psychologicish typing. That's not fair. <laughs> it's so tiny that was the problem because you. Oh yeah, I do ten point. I don't like yeah. to waste paper. Well, you know me. I'm, I'm, you do like sixteen point times New Roman. I love paper, <laughs> and I don't want to waste it. But I also have to do my job. Sure. Maybe I should go double sided, but then my highlighter gets in the way. Oh yeah. It'd be a problem. Oh man. Everything would be highlighted. You might as well just dip the whole page in yellow ink or something. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, so anyway, Jung uh, wrote this book, that book, uh, in 1921 in a German and had it translated to uh, English a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. And he created these four categories, uh, sensation, intuition, thinking and feeling. Right. So those were his four that kind of most of these modern tests are based on in some way or another. Yeah. And, um, it's really almost impossible that I guess we could just save all the criticisms for the end and just pile them on. But it's, it's really tough to talk about this stuff and not like as you present one fact, mm-hmm. talk about the problem with that fact as okay. it relates to modern incarnation. What, what do you think we should do? Should we just save them? Like you say, cause I can bite my tongue. Yeah, let's save them. Okay. And then you can just like, I'm not even trying, like, I'm not, I'm not going crop circle here. I'm just saying, like, there's just, there's just a lot wrong with this. But, um, even before Jung, who created these, the, the concept of the modern concept, I should say, of personality types, and he created the idea of introvert and extrovert, which say what you will about Jung, and a lot of psychologists have a lot to say about him. Yeah. Not necessarily the nicest things to say, but introversion and extro- extroversion is so, widely accepted yeah. inside and out of the field of psychology that, I mean, if that were his only contribution to the field, that's that's enough to to engrave it on your tombstone for sure. Yeah. And each of those um, four uh, psychological types he was talking about are modified by whether or not you're introverted or extroverted. Right. They all kind of work together to Box you in. That was like the right. That was the main thing is how you how you approach life as introvert or extrovert and everything else is like a sub kind of a subsection of that or something. Yeah. And and one of the issues with this and I don't think this is part of the criticism, but (laughs) I was going to say I thought we were saving him. He was uh, this was based on his ideas. It wasn't like he had all this research and all this data. He he was a deep thinker and he sat around and and thought of these things. Right, exactly. And then he wrote entire books based on them. Yeah. But he's a very well-respected psychoanalyst, and he was part of the early movement for psychoanalysis with Freud. They were they were colleagues, although Jung was much younger. Um, <laughs> but they eventually said, I don't like you anymore. We're parting ways. Um, but as as all as psychoanalysis was really kind of establishing itself and if you want to know more about that background and the origin of psychoanalysis go listen to our how pr works the live show yeah we talked a lot about that um but as this was going on and it was starting to kind of dominate the field of psychology there was a whole other movement a parallel movement that said you know what we think all that's a little mushy we like the idea of being able to quantify psychology yeah and so even before Jung, there were guys like uh, Alfred Binet, who was uh, one of the indirect fathers of the intelligence test, yeah. the IQ test. Um, a, a pair of researchers named Gray and Wheelwright 
um, and plenty of others who wanted to say, no, 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 you can study psychology, you can study things like the human personality, and you can typify them, you can add numbers, you can quantify this yeah. stuff. And in doing so, we will prove psychology as a science as well. So this this whole movement to typify people and put them into convenient, um, almost numerical categories yeah. came out of this urgent need to sci- to establish a scientific basis for psychology. Yeah, and Jung, uh, he kind of laid the table for this, and many years later, although not that many, um, there was a woman named Catherine Cook Briggs, Yeah, uh, and she was working on this with uh, her daughter, uh, one Isabel Briggs Myers. Uh-huh. I think you see where this is going. I do. Uh, this is post-World War II when they, women were uh, kind of for the first time, really going uh, into the workforce in full mm-hmm. uh, and en masse. And so they thought, well, maybe we can put together some personality types to find out um, what kind of jobs these women might be suited for, what types of jobs they might enjoy. Right. Um, so they started working together on this. And um, as legend has it, the the mom, Catherine uh, Briggs, Cook Briggs, she was doing her thing and then saw Jung's works. And said, I got to start over. This is right. this is the stuff. She had already been working on a personality test. Yeah. But apparently, according to the legend, threw her work into the fire. Yeah. Said, I'm starting from scratch. It's she dramatic. Was, she was a voracious reader, uh, especially of um, the psychology, the new psychology books that were coming out of Europe, right? She didn't read Jung? She did. Well, eventually, but. Yeah. And then. Seems like it kind of came along later. Well, so, yeah, there's a, there's kind of a weird discrepancy in the history and I don't know if it's just it hasn't been covered right or if there is a weird discrepancy but supposedly she initiated it and so it would have been contemporary or shortly after Jung's psychology or personality types was translated into English in 1923 Mm -hmm. so but it was her daughter Isabel who really uh, took it and ran with it because of World War II and the need for uh, women in the workplace correct uh, so they, you know, kind of kept some of young stuff, um, built on that, kind of stripped some of it away. Uh, most notably a lot of the unconscious stuff. And they might've thought that was a little too weird right. for, you know, the modern American workforce. Yeah. Uh, so what they ended up coming up with was the, the MBTI, Myers-Briggs type indicator. Right. Very famously. Yeah, and they had a they had a publishing arrangement with one group. I can't remember what they were called, but they thought it didn't do very well. And then in 1975, they went with another publisher, CPP, and they're the current publishers of the Myers Briggs yeah. type indicator. And since then, it that's when its ubiquity like just really spread. Was starting in the 70s, and and now it's just it's basically married to corporate America. Should we take a break? Sure. Go get married to corporate America. Yeah. <laughs> As if we aren't already. All right. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about personality tests in general and then uh, focus in a little more on the MBTI. All right. So um, 
personality tests is just there are many, many ways you can get evaluated psychologically uh, by a professional. Uh, this is just one way. And um, you can get your head measured with calipers. <laughs> in fact, in the day they did they that, right? They give you a bunch of drugs and see what you do. There's a lot of ways. Uh, but these tests generally, um, as Grabster points out, falls into a couple of types, uh, projective and objective. Uh, projective tests are things like uh, the Rorschach test where you're shown something, uh, some kind of stimulus, and it's open to interpretation and you <clears throat> tell them what you think about it. And someone sits back very quietly and taps on a pad of paper mm-hmm. and makes an evaluation. So very interesting. <laughs> and then objective are more like these personality tests. They're standardized assessments that people use. Um, and while it's subjective what you put down, they are then evaluated again by a professional. Right. But ultimately, that objective name is a bit of a misnomer because sure. on the end of it, it's still interpreted by a person. Yeah. Which is therefore makes it subjective. Right. And which, depending on who you ask, is the fatal flaw of all personality tests. It should be the, uh, like, a uh, good song from the seventies had a little parenthetical at the end of the title. Right. It should just say subjective also. Right. In parentheses. Baby. <laughs> um, so the big five are, and, and this is the big five, I get the feeling are the psychological tests that, that, legit psychologists are more in favor of over something like the MBTI. Is that right? Yeah. It's not just, there's tests to suss out the big five. The big five are the personality types that the field of psychology has come up with. Well, yeah, but the tests that, that utilize that, right. They kind of think are more legit than the MBTI. Yeah. There's not a psychologist alive who uses the, the MBTI in their regular practice. Oh, I bet there are not, not, not that, (laughs) not that are speaking up. I guarantee you there's someone out there. Yeah. Sure. He's a freewheeling type. Or she. <laughs> uh, so the big five are extroversion, agreeableness, openness to experience, uh, conscientiousness, and neuroticism. Right. Sounds like it could be like a dating site thing that you fill out. It's funny. Every time I see or hear the word neuroticism, a bell goes off in my head. <laughs> like, ding. <laughs> Just a silent bell? Yeah. Oh. I don't know what that means. I don't either, but it draws my attention to it. <laughs> um, so some of these tests, uh, I mean, it depends on what it is. They might not all call them by those exact words, but they're generally using, they call them, you know, like I said, the big five. Yeah. And I was, I was looking into that big five and, um, this, this site, I can't remember what it was called, but they were basically, they were going over it. Like extroversion is again, just part of the scientific literature at this point. Yeah. Um, agreeableness is like whether you're how sympathetic or kind or affectionate you are. Yeah. Conscientiousness is are you organized? Are you thorough? Are you the type who shows up on time? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, neuroticism, which is some kind, sometimes called emotional stability. Um, how tense are you? How moody? How anxious? Uh-huh. Ding. <laughs> uh, and then like, uh, openness to experience, right? Yeah. They sometimes call that intellect slash imagination. Do you have wide interests? Yeah. Are you an imaginative person? Are you insightful? And this this site really went to a lot of pains to point out that what you would call these things, the big five personality traits, uh-huh. are, as far as a psychologist is concerned, just one dimension of you, the human being. Yeah. And that to get a clearer picture of you, they would also need to study your motivations, mm-hmm. your emotions, your attitudes, your abilities, your self-concepts, your social roles. 
autobiographical memories, your life stories. And if you start to put all these things together, then you can start to kind of approximate the person's personality. Yeah. But it would just, it, it, it takes a lot of study of an individual yeah. and these different components that make up their personality to get a clear picture. So I, I don't think there are any psychologists walking around saying, hey, the big five personality types are like the beginning and end of a personality. Right. It's just, if you put them together, you have a, a, a just a sketch of somebody's personality and you, you should go much deeper if you're analyzing someone. Yeah. I think I used to think this stuff was a lot neater when I was younger mm-hmm. and now it kind of gives me a little anxiety. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I just, I don't know as far as doing this to myself and I still enjoy therapy. Like that's different, but right. I don't know. Cause every single one of these, I like my answer would be, well, it depends. Well, I think, I think also though, um, and I don't mean to speak for you, but one of the issues that's, that comes up for me is if somebody goes to you and says, you know, you, you, you rate pretty high on the spectrum of neuroticism. Mm-hmm. Like that's obviously you're going to obsess about that kind of stuff, especially if they're right. It can make you neurotic, but it, yeah, it's a, it's a boundary that somebody has just established for you that yeah. you may need, feel the need to stay in because that's the boundary that you're right. bound by, whether you are or not. Like this is my box. Right. That, I'll live in it. That would be the reason it raises anxiety for me. Yeah. Well, my whole thing, like I said, though, is just depends. Every single question that I would get asked, well, not everyone. Sometimes I'm pretty like set on something, mm-hmm. but usually I'd say, well, I don't know. Depends on the scenario. Right. Am I uh, more prone in a crowd to do X or Y? Maybe. Right. Maybe not. Depends on my mood. So one, one with these other personality tests and, and the whole field in psychology of, um, studying traits, personality traits in a quantitative way is called psychometrics. Yeah. So with these tests, the more sophisticated ones, if they had a test taker like you, they're designed to get around that. So they're going to ask a bunch of different questions yeah. about the same thing, but mm-hmm. in different ways coming from different directions. So that eventually, if you put all of them together and run them through a statistical analysis, yeah. they're actually going to come up with your genuine answer, which is kind of one way or another. Right. The other way that they get around this, um, that kind of hemming and hawing, I guess, mm-hmm. is um, by placing it on a spectrum. You're not being lumped into one category or another. It's here's one end of the spectrum. Here's the other end of the spectrum. And based on your answers, you fall somewhere around the middle, like almost everybody does. Right. If you look at psychometric tests, a legitimate psychometric test is going to basically look like a bell curve. Yeah. Where most people are going to be distributed toward the middle. Yeah. I think what that's why it gives me anxiety. It's like, what's the point? Don't don't box me in. It's a great question. (laughs) Um. Well, I think the second half of this is a lot of what's the point. Yeah. You know, uh, so looking, speaking, uh, on these tests to see if it's actually, if there is a point, if it's a valid thing to do, mm-hmm. uh, there are a couple of measures that one must look at and that psychologists do look at. Um, is it valid and is it reliable? Valid in the sense that it really is a pretty good reflection of Josh or Chuck right. or whoever. And is it reliable? So if we take this test, tomorrow or a different test that's um, just, you know, maybe different questions, mm-hmm. will it repro- uh, reproduce the same result? Right. And that's a big deal. Like if you're talking <laughs> yeah. science right? and you're trying to have a foundation that says, no, this is science. It's not just a bunch of uh, 
questions uh, and hippy dippy questions that we're mm-hmm. asking. Uh, if you really want real data and science behind it, you have to be able to reproduce it. Right. Um, one of the other things too that these tests are designed to do is to weed out fakers. Right. We'll talk a lot more about the Minnesota multi-phasic personality inventory, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the, the big ones. Yes. Probably the most taken personality test in the world. Yeah. Um, and it has a lot of built-in mechanisms and apparently is really good at detecting people who are faking. Mm-hmm. They're faking a mental illness or who are trying to pretend that they aren't suffering from a mental illness. Yeah. It's really good at detecting that because it's so exhaustive and um, using statistical analysis. If somebody is skewed really far one way or skewed really far the other, they're just immediately exposed as as gaming the test as best they can. Yeah. And one way they do that, which is in its own way, its own little psychology experiment, at least, is by telling you we have ways. <laughs> right. Like you will be rooted, rooted out and we will know. Exactly. So the, they tell people that beforehand. So you're more inclined to just be like, all right, well, screw it. I'll tell the truth. Right. Especially when they're sitting there, like clearing the air out of a syringe. <laughs> That's creepy. It is. All right. So let's get back to uh, CPP and the MBTI, <laughs> the uh, consulting psychologist psychologists press. Right. And the Myers Briggs, uh, we'll just keep calling it a test, even though they say it's not a test. It's a, it's a type inventory. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll just go ahead and break down the deal here. There are, the, the object is to sort you into, uh, one of 16 different types, personality types, uh, based on which side of four pairs or dichotomies that you're going to fall on. And those are, um, at the very base, uh, you're either introverted or extroverted, like we said, E right. or I. Yeah. Uh, sensing, uh, or intuition, S and N. Um, and these words, they sound a little confusing. Like what the heck does a sensing person mean? Yeah. It means you like the big data and empirical data and a lot of information. Right. Whereas intuition is like you just go with your gut. That's how you prefer to be. Correct. Right. Uh, the next we have thinking and feeling, uh, thinking being, uh, more focused on logic. Uh, did I say logic? Mm-hmm. With a T. Sure. <laughs> and objectivity. And then if you're feeling, you're going to be um, more interested in, in relationships and harmony among your group. Those two are pretty straightforward. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and then lastly, there's judging and perceiving. Those are uh, that's a dichotomy. Judging is where you um, you prefer schedules. You prefer um, decisiveness. That's how you kind of approach life. Yeah. And perceiving is where you're just kind of like, whatever. Yeah. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. Um, that's almost kind of like the difference between the type A and type B personalities, which, by the way, yeah. was made up by a pair of cardiologists. Oh, really? Whose work was later secretly funded by the tobacco industry who were looking for anything to explain heart attacks besides smoking. Uh-huh. So they funded type A and type B personality research for years. Interesting. Yeah, it really is. There's a, um, just as an aside, there's a really interesting price, uh, I think, yeah, priceonomics, um, article on type A and type B. Yeah. Just look it up. I don't remember the name. All right. Um, so when you sit down to take one of these, uh, not tests, with a series of questions that you answer. I think they call them instruments, by the way. <laughs> Do they Psychometric <really>? instruments. 
which are basically a series of questions on a piece of paper. Yeah, it sounds like a test. Um, they will say things like, uh, Ed has some good examples here. When you go on a trip, do you want everything planned out in advance or would you rather just take each day as it comes and do whatever you feel like? Pretty straightforward kind of stuff. Right. Uh, and then they also have things like uh, word pairs just to see literally what word you like better. Like uh, compassion, foresight. Like which word do you like better? Carrots or fruit? Uh, fruit. Fruit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just prettier. It is. So I'm looking back here. I just want to say so. I think you trying to figure out what you were. Yeah, I think ENFP maybe. I think that's what I was. We weren't in the same thing. I don't remember. Yumi and I got the same thing. She found an old email, but she forgot to tell me what we were. Oh, really? I, I really, I don't know. Problem is, would we still be the same today? Yeah. And I think if I'm not mistaken, didn't we have this up on a big board in the office for a I while? Think so, yeah. That seems like a Jerry's nodding. That seems like a breach of protocol. Sure. Like privacy. Yeah. Well, again, being forced at gunpoint to do it was just <laughs> from the start. I remember it was kind of fun. I had a fun day. Well, we'll talk about that as well. Um, so it's going to cost you if you just do this as a single individual, um, not meaning not married, but just a person, about <laughs> 50 bucks. Um, although they should charge more if you're married. <laughs> more complex test. Uh, about 50 bucks if you want an hour of feedback. That'll cost you an extra hundred. And if you want a career report all typed up, uh, that'll be sixteen ninety five. Yeah. And if you, um, this is $1,500 for a on-site training class. Is that like what we had? So this is a, this is not very well explained. If you want to administer the Myers-Briggs personality or type inventory, yeah, you can get certified. It's a four-day training course. Oh, okay. And you pay $1,500 to $1,600. Oh, that's you what that is. You cannot legally administer this test or you're infringing on their copyrights right. unless you are certified by CPP to do this. And we should do it with one another on the air and risk a lawsuit. We, uh, yeah. Well, you probably got a suit already with that one question you asked out loud. Which one? Oh, uh, just the one? Yeah. When you go on a trip, do you want everything planned out in advance? I just made that up. Oh, good job. Good that, job. I got that from uh, Travelocity. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that little gnome <laughs> whispered it in your ear. That's right. But so you you uh, would go and get certified, and then now you can go around to businesses and say, hey, uh, do you want to know more about your employees? you want to know who's good at what? Right. Let me come give uh, the Myers-Briggs type inventory to your your um, employees and it'll, be, them all in it'll be wonderful, right? So that's how the whole process goes. You pay to become certified, and then you go become something of a, an evangelist for the Myers-Briggs test, mm -hmm. and you sell the test. You basically become a salesman as well. Mm -hmm. It's a it's very interesting it um, dynamic that they have going. That is. It's a good word, dynamic. Um, they want to point out that um, the person taking the test is the expert. Um. And they also use this metaphor of handedness, which I didn't fully understand. They say things like, uh, it feels more comfortable to sign your name with your dominant hand, but technically you can sign with your non-dominant hand if you need to. Right. I'm not sure what they're trying to prove there. They're trying to say that despite the MBTI pigeonholing you fully in one category or another uh -huh. rather than on a spectrum, they're saying that category that it's 
pigeonholing you into is actually just your preference. It's not you specifically. It's just your you, inclined you predisposition. Tend, yeah. yeah. You tend to be an extrovert, but of course, everybody likes their own personal alone time. So yeah, you're going to be an introvert once in a while, but you're an extrovert more than, than other times. Yeah. Cause I can't sign my uh, name with my left hand that I didn't like that analogy because it literally, I can barely hold a pen with my left hand. I'm seeing you're doing it right wow, now. Wow, that was pretty bad. If I tried to do it, it would look like a, uh, a three year old with arthritis <laughs> has tried to like scribble it out. Mine, mine looks like Unum. Unum? UDM. Udum? Yeah, Udum. It's my signature with my left hand. <laughs> And they do, they do try and point out, like you said, that it's interesting because they box you in, but at the same time, they're saying, but you know, like you said, it's just predisposition. Don't right. don't really think of it about you being this type of person, even though you are an ENFP. Right. Like you said, it was earlier, it was almost numbered. I mean, it is, it's lettered. Right. It's just a different way of quantifying it. Yeah. But without numbers. All right, you want to take a break and then come back and, and maybe do a little criticism? Yeah. Okay. All right, Chuck, like I said, it's kind of a pastime in the United States to to tee off on the Myers-Briggs type inventory. Yeah, this is not us here. This is uh... No, this is us talking about other people teeing <laughs> off on it. Yeah, it's it's it widely been criticized over the years from um psychologists and uh well, amateur know-nothings like us. Sure. One of the big criticisms is that companies use this stuff um, and hiring and firing and right. promoting. Um, but even the Myers-Briggs people, CPP, say, like, don't do that. Well, I know, but they say that. But then don't go to an office and get hired by a corporation to administer it. Right. Or go what? sell your services, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I agreed. And that's part of the problem. To me, that is more um, the corporation's fault. Mm-hmm. Well, sure. Like if you have an HR person who's like diehard believer in the MBTI yeah. and will hire or fire somebody based on their MBTI type, mm -hmm. fire that person. Yeah. Because you have a real dum-dum on your hands. They're a DD. And they should not <laughs> be responsible for people's livelihoods. Yeah. Even, I don't think they would put it quite in those terms, but even the Myers-Briggs people say, like, you shouldn't use this for hiring or firing. Yeah. And yet, yes, some people do. Some people swear by this. The impression that I have is that the Myers-Briggs people tend to think of this as more like a team building exercise. Right. Or where like a, a, a certified MBTI administrator mm -hmm. can come to your place, get all your employees together, and they find out like all their personality types. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there's not a single negative personality type. And all personality yeah. types are equal. Sure. So everybody gets a participant ribbon in the form of their personality type. Yeah. 
And, um, at, but at the same time, and this seems to be the crux at the same time, everybody's finding out like, Oh, you're a little different than me and I'm mm-hmm. a little different than you. And, yeah. and we all have differences and different perspectives. So let's celebrate that and let's respect one another's differences. And there is the actual point from what I understand of mm-hmm. the Myers Briggs type inventory and taking it in a corporate setting. That's what stands out to me as what happened with us was right. I remember it kind of being a fun day. And there we were like all, Tootsie Rolls. Yeah, we all goofed off and had a good time. And the person leading it, if they're good at what they do, which this person was, is always, you know, it's always kind of a fun person and uh, cracking <clears throat> jokes and uh, they don't take it too seriously. Right. None of us took it too seriously. Uh, and we all had a good time and it did. It was very much like a team building thing. Right. So as long as there's like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing. Yeah. And that the people who take it actually take it seriously are taken off to the side by their HR rep to say like, no, this is a, a little scolded. less serious than, <laughs> than you're taking it. Uh-huh. Then it's fine. But yes, once you start deciding people's fate based on this, then you have real problems because as just about anybody will tell you, the Myers-Briggs type inventory is based at best on some shaky science, if at all. If you go back to the very beginning, it's based on the theories of Carl Jung, Mm -hmm. which have never been based on science. They were basically personal observations by Jung. Uh And the psychology community has disavowed Jung in large part. So therefore, anything based on his teachings and theories is, is by proxy disavowed as well. But if that weren't enough... Psychology as a field loves going after the Myers-Briggs type inventory, just loves it as as totally baseless scientifically. All right. So we've got um, shouldn't use it to hire and fire in corporations or or give promotions. Right. We have not based on real science uh, and science scientific data. Right. Um, these four dichotomies are problematic in and of themselves because everyone is on a spectrum. You can't say like, you know, you answered these 10 questions. So you're either this or you're that. Right. Um, and when one of the rebuttals, uh, cause I think Ed interviewed someone from CPP, right? Yeah. Um, one of the rebuttals about being a non repeatable, um, experiment of sorts is like, Hey, yesterday I was an ENFP and today I'm this. They'll say, well, you know what? If you have different answers, that means you were sort of on the cusp right there in that center line mm-hmm. on some of these questions. And you might have just leapt over to that other side, which means you're basically kind of down the center. Yet they don't have a categorization right. for down the center. Yeah, because depending on, as Ed puts it, you could answer uh, all 24 questions mm-hmm. on the feeling side. Yeah. And you're going to get the same result as somebody who answered 11 questions for thinking and 13 questions for feeling. Right. Same thing. You're still both an an F Uh in that respect. And I saw elsewhere it put like if the Myers-Briggs test um, measured height, you would either be tall or short. Yeah. You could say, well, actually, I'm right there in the middle. And they'd be like, well, that's short. Right. Or for you, it's short. For the guy who who is the same exact height, they're tall. Right. And trust me, nobody that's 5'10 likes to be considered short. Right. I can say that from experience. Cause you're not, you're in, you're average. I'm average. Right. I so like being average. the, the, the fact that there isn't a spectrum is one thing that really makes it in stark contrast of, of other m- much more widely accepted psychometric instruments. For sure. Um, 
Ed also points out too the grabster that they're uh the construction of the um instrument itself is problematic. Uh because one, like we talked about, it's self reporting. Anytime you're self reporting, there's gonna be some weird bias in there. Sure. Just almost impossible to avoid one hundred percent. That's right. And the other one is that um he says a couple of these dichotomies are uh entangled, which I never really thought about that, but that's a pretty good point. Yeah. So um Judging perceiving scale are correlated with answers on the sensing intuition scale. And if you like, th- those should be separated out for sure. For sure. I don't know why they don't. I don't either. You know, because they've really put a lot of work into this. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not baked in stone from the, the 1940s and 50s and 60s, is it? No, it's not. And even while they were creating, it was an ongoing, exhaustive process that, um, Mrs. Briggs and Mrs. Myers um, engaged in. Yeah, we don't want to give... They spent decades on this. Yes. It wasn't like something they threw together. No. The problem is, is they they did it backwards. They came up with the personality types and then set about right. creating the test that would detect these personality types rather than going out and testing people, seeing what personality yeah. types emerged, and then figuring out a test to find that in other people. They did it backwards. That's a good point. It was based on Jung. But it was not for lack of trying. Like, as a matter of fact, one of the first things they did after they, they started to really establish the test was they, they managed to administer it to like 5,000 George Washington University medical students. Uh-huh. And they, they took those results and tracked the students to see what fields of medicine they went in. They like really worked on this. I read an article in the Washington Post where, um, this, I think Isabel, uh, Myers's son, um, remembers their vacations were basically like fact finding um missions all around the country mm, like they fun. would go administer <laughs> tests like everything was about this test and uh-huh. they worked on it for decades so yeah it, the problem is it was just it's just not based on science they didn't follow the scientific method yeah so science so science kind of poo-poos the mbti but wait 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 get back here because a lot of these criticisms fall just as easily on every other psychometric test around. Well, yeah. And that's one of the things that um, I can't remember who was interviewed in here, but um, in one of those other articles you sent one of the um, Myers, or I don't know if it was, or maybe it was a Rorschach Uh defender. Right. um, Said, you know, like everyone, yeah, it was Rorschach. Like Mm -hmm. everyone's always picking on Rorschach. Right. When all of these psychological tests are, you know, subject to criticism. They are, you know, I think it's really easy for uh, to tee off on Rorschach as well, because, I mean, we're talking ink plots, man. It is the epitome of subjective yeah. self-reporting. You're saying, I uh, let's see in this one. I see mom's boobs. Uh, yeah. Mom's boobs in that one. <laughs> this too. One is, uh, dad's boobs. Right. right exactly. <laughs> so and then from that. It was strictly up to uh, initially Rorschach, who I think came up with this test in 1915, 1917. What's his name, Herman? Uh, I think so. He's a Swiss psychiatrist. Herman Rorschach. It was it, it was initially up to him, and then later on his followers to interpret this, which is basically like interpreting dreams. Yeah. And um, so subjective. It totally subjective from beginning to end, and then in I think 1975. A guy at Bowling Green State University, uh, which is right outside of Toledo, um, <laughs> came up with this 
a, a really exhaustive interpretive test that sought to quantify Rorschach answers. Yeah, John Exner. Yeah. Uh, and it was a test called the Comprehensive System, uh, 140 components. And in this article you sent, they said that Rorschach was probably going away um, mm-hmm. had it not been for Exner's accompaniment um, with this other process. Right, and even today he's got an institute in Asheville that's de- dedicated to the Rorschach test, right? So one thing I've noticed from researching this is each of these personality inventories has like its adherents and its detractors. Yeah. And just judging from the outside, it looks a lot like cults yeah. gathered around their various <laughs> idols, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, There's like the original figurehead who came up with it mm-hmm. and everybody worships them and he's attacked by these other followers who have a very similar figurehead yeah. who came up with something very similar, but it's just different enough that that there's a huge chasm between the two and there's a lot of dogma surrounding it. But the, uh, the Rorschach test in particular is apparently well known to give wildly inaccurate results. I took one today. Did you online? How'd you do? Uh, I got two out of ten, which means um, I was only two, two away, whatever that means, mm-hmm. from being labeled like a psychotic. So yeah, there was a <laughs> you get st- four out of ten, I think. There was a st- oh really? I think that's what it said. Yeah, wow, that's close. I mean, this is an online uh, test. I don't know if it's like how true it was to the original. I gotcha. Or maybe the original. Yeah, it could be. And then they have a algorithm that runs the. Uh, Analysis. For I kept you? seeing all kinds of things when I looked at it, and I've never done an inkblot test. I would say, "Oh, that looks like a bat," and then I was like, "No, it's like two bunnies," and then, "No, it looks like a cool Mardi Gras mask." Did it? Did they move to you? Did you see no. colors? Well, some of them were colored. Oh, okay. Most of them were black, and uh-huh. they had a. The one I took had a had a one and a two. Like, um, what do you see, and what's like a secondary thing mm-hmm. that you see? Right. So, you know, supposedly people who are supporters of the Rorschach test say, no, man, there's we don't know how it's working. But if you see movement in the Rorschach ink blots, it's suggestive of depression or something right. like that. And they say statistically it's correlated. But like I was saying, it's also notorious for giving incorrect results. Yeah. Like saying you're you have a mental illness. Right. OK. So there was this study in 2000 that was given to like 100 mentally sound elementary school kids yeah, and some like high percentage of them came back as borderline psychotic because of the Rorschach test. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's hilarious to hear stories like that. Like I'm laughing inside right now, (laughs) but um, the problem is, is you're at the very least being labeled as psychotic. Sure. Not a label you want in society. No. And it was because of this inkblot test Mm -hmm. that's a hundred years old. Yeah. And then secondly, these tests are also being submitted and accepted as evidence in criminal trials. That's the biggest part. Child custody cases. Yeah. I mean, civil they're, cases. They're still given real weight. And yeah. like, lives are changed and ruined based on looking at a hundred year old ink blots. Yes. And a person's subjective analysis of that. That's not okay. No, this, um, Howard Garb in this one article you sent, he's a co-author of What's Wrong with the Rorschach and he is, Head of psycho, or at least at the time of this article, he may still be head of psychological testing for the Air Force. Uh, he said that even with Exner's comprehensive system, he said only 10% of his system, uh, even meets the most basic scientific standards. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> they not- did, uh, examine data of over 30 different Rorschach studies. And he said they all have a tendency to label healthy people mentally ill. Right. 
And if you're trying to get custody of your kid or if you are on trial as a criminal, like it's just that's the last thing you need yeah. is somebody's subjective opinion of is it a bunny or is it a bat? Oh, he said a bat. Take that kid, <laughs> you know, quick. The kid's like, I like bunnies. <laughs> the uh, the um another one that that we have to talk about is the MMPI. Now the MMPI dash two. I think as of 2012, they revised it dramatically. Yeah, is this one is that right? It has over 500 questions. Yeah. Wow. Some of them originally were about like your bowel movements. Okay. Um, really nutso questions that supposedly really got to the heart of whether you were mentally disturbed or not, right? Yes. And it was created at the University of Minnesota in the 40s by a psychiatrist and a a neurologist, I believe. And they hit upon a pretty clever idea. They said, we're not going to interpret the results, right? And say, you know, oh, this person said that they do feel like smashing something sometimes. Yeah. And that means this. Instead, we're going to come up with this test of like 504 questions and we're going to give it to the patient or the family and staff of a mental hospital who we're sure are sane. And we're going to take their answers and they're going to become our control group, our baseline. Yeah. So then anybody who takes this test, we're going to compare the test takers answers to the sane control groups Uh answers. and you know, depending on how it relates to the same control group, they're either mentally ill or not. You better have gotten that control group right. Well, that's the thing. To begin with. So a group of like family and friends in Minnesota is the picture of sanity throughout the world is the basis of this test. That's a huge problem with it to begin with. Yeah. But apparently a lot of people say like, no, it it really has, it does a pretty good job of sussing, sussing out mental illness. Yeah. Um, it's also really good at detecting faker faking one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's too invasive. And when companies use it for hiring and firing, right. it's way too invasive. And apparently lawsuits have been filed against companies for using it. Well, I think that, um, most people are far more, um, troubled than they ever let on in life. Sure. And, um, Part of success in life comes down to how good you are at um, covering that up or hiding it or dealing with it and mm. processing it. Yeah, that's coming optimal. To terms with it. <laughs> um, it's just to find a, a core group that are, quote, unquote, sane, normal people. Right. Um, it's just you're starting off with a, a problem, yeah, if you, you ask me. A faulty premise, right? Yeah. It just, there's no way. Like everyone has their issues, their deep, dark, uh, things that their brain that they don't want anyone to know. Sometimes even the people closest to them don't even know. Yeah. And actually you, you're in agreement with this, uh, a sociologist named William White who criticized the MMPI as a, a tool that helped to create and perpetuate the oppressive group think of mid-century organization man. Yeah. Where it's basically like, here's what we think is normal. Anything outside of that is abnormal. And we're not going to hire you because you don't fit into this picture of normalcy, which is basically white crew cut Minnesota. Yeah. From the forties. Right. That's the picture of normalcy. That's highly debatable. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting is a lot of skeptics and critics point to things like the MBTI uh, and saying, this is 
just like astrology. Yeah. It's really no different than reading your horoscope because it's all positive psychology. Um, at the end of a, of a Myers Briggs, um, non test, no one walks away feeling bad. Usually it's all sort of positive wording mm-hmm. and like, like this is what you are. You're just this. So kind of don't worry about it the same way you read your horoscope in any given day. I mean, how many horoscopes say like, um, today you, you will be prone to uh, depression and wonder what it's all about. Right. Maybe you <laughs> should work on your core character because people don't like being around you that much. Yeah. You don't hear that kind of stuff. No. But that taps into what's called the forer effect, F-O-R-E-R. Yeah. Um, there was a psychiatrist named Bertram Forer. I thought I think. this is so interesting. He, he, well, take it. It's pretty interesting stuff. Well, I mean, basically, didn't he give the same, he had people take these tests uh-huh. and then gave all of the people the exact same assessment. Right. But telling everyone it was tailored for them, yep. their own personality assessment. And I think the people who just thought it was favorable were like, this is great. Well, it was favorable. He actually called it from daily horoscopes. Well, yeah, but what were they responding positively to well they it was it whether w- or not they wanted to feel that way about no themselves? they were it was a positive assessment there was nothing negative in there right. so it was all positive stuff like you have a lot of unused potential that kind of stuff people stuff people wanted to identify with right. right so the more flattering it was the more likely the people were to say this is an accurate assessment of me oh okay so despite the fact that it was the same one given to the entire class he took their answers and threw them out and said here's your assessment it's the like, same one for everybody that's about right it got like an 85% accuracy from the class as a whole well that's what i wondered it was about the 15% were those people just super honest maybe and like no this I really no like, people actually don't like being around <laughs> me i'm using all of my potential and they still don't like me yeah that's what i couldn't figure out but i guess that makes sense there yeah. are people out there that are I think I would be one of those that would be like, this isn't right. Yeah. I'm not like that. Sure. You got anything else? I think not. This is a good one. We've been, we've been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah. So. This is a special request by me. And others. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about personality tests, well, you can go take them online. They're kind of huge right now. Uh, find out what kind of um, hobbit you are. I don't know. What box do you live in? Yeah. Uh, and in the meantime, you can type personality tests in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. The only thing that should live in a box is uh, temporary housing for a pet frog. That's not bad. Or the stuff you find in a, a tree hole that Boo Radley left for you. Yeah, that can live in the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, guys, feel compelled to write you today to tell you how grateful I am for your show. Uh, and praise your good work. Um, recently became a listener and I'm working my way through the entire archive. I think a lot of folks might be able to relate to this until recently I found out, I found it really hard to relax and suffer with anxiety. Two months ago I read an article basically pointing out how our obsession with being productive and associated guilt is a modern phenomenon. Um, I think that for sure, you know? Yep. Uh, although I had heard this before, something really clicked in my head, so I decided to abandon guilt and embrace relaxation taking control of my own stress levels. You guys have been a big part of this. Uh, I have taken the time to slowly potter around my flat, go for walks while listening and learning to your fascinating podcast. And they've lifted my mood. I feel mentally healthier than I ever have before. Nice. Uh, although the content of what you discuss might not always be positive, the way in which you explain them and your own views personally revive my hope in humanity. That is ridiculously flattering. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Uh, I guess I should also mention that a big part of my tackling anxiety 
uh, his levels has been to abandon watching television. And fistfuls of psychotropic <laughs> drugs. <laughs> I would be really interested to know if there's been any research conducted into the effect TV has upon our lives. Oh, I'm sure there has been. Sure. Uh, I haven't owned a TV for many years, but my partner has since subscribed to an online provider. And I realize how watching TV has not helped my anxiety. I also remember reading that after TVs became mainstream in Bhutan, their crime rate went up something like 700%. <laughs> Might prove an interesting topic for a future show. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sincerely grateful. Keep it up. I'm now recommending your shows to as many people as I can. Big love from the UK, Mac. Thanks a lot, Mac. That was great. We hear from a lot of people, actually, who say that we help them with their anxiety. No idea how, but it doesn't matter. So thank you. Yep. Yep. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Mac did, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast or Josh Um Clark. You can hang out with us on Facebook at Stuff You Should Know or Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You can send us an email at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 